0: Welcome to the learning reinvented podcast brought to you by myself, James Polatilo, and the team from the learning effect. There are lots of learning podcasts out there. So we wanted to do something slightly different this week. We'll be exploring learning journeys and we're talking to Mark Williams. Mark, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, James. An absolute pleasure to be here.
0: Do you want to tell our listeners a bit about you and your background?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so currently I'm the founder of a, a learning platform called GiraffePad, which is built uh, specifically for external training providers and coaches. Um, I've run my own training and coaching consultancy for just shy of 20 years now. It feels like I've been involved in learning all my life now. Uh, and then prior to that, uh, involved in a learning function in a big um,
0: national travel company. So we talk to quite a lot of people who've sort of gone out on their own or they've set up and it's normally driven by some sort of passion or some sort of problem they've seen within the market they've been in, the industry or the function they're working in. So what's driven you on the journey you've been on?
1: Um, Good question. So certainly um, where I'm at now in my journey is definitely driven by a real direct passion around a problem that I experienced running my training and coaching business. So. For any any of your listeners that work externally to organisation a learning function they'll probably the minute I mention the idea of vacuums between the sessions you're there or before you arrive or after you leave um, will recognise that any learning intervention you're working on um, if it only if the learning only happens when you're with them it becomes a very uh, broken up journey and very unlikely to stick so throughout the sort of years of of delivering various different programmes for various different clients and often sort of arriving into premises, it's all pre-COVID, you know, lovely in-person time when we could do that, um, to be greeted by wonderfully friendly, brilliant people saying, Mark, it's great to see you. Um, What are we doing today? Um, And then knowing that when they left that room afterwards, all that wonderful energy, enthusiasm, creativity, willingness to embrace new ideas of change felt like it was left in the room and people went back to normality. Um, so that's kind of that. Those experiences in particular drove a very untechy person like me to explore the world of technology and build a learning platform specifically for external providers that could create that kind of ongoing learning learning journey space. Prior to that, um, if I'm really honest, my training and coaching business. I love anything to do with learning, but being a freelancer in the early days was very much about. Um, almost a lifestyle choice wanting to be there for the kids wanting to to not be tied into permanent hours or anything else so it wasn't around any glowing mission if that makes sense um, that grew as I got more and more experienced and, and, and learned what worked I suppose. Yeah
0: it's, it's interesting you talk about that you know going back a number of years where you would have had to step away from a role into more of a freelance or a you know a consultancy role to be able to have that work balance. Whereas now we're seeing that that's become far more mainstream. The, the last two years have really helped with that transition of understanding that things need to be in balance between all aspects of our life.
1: hundred percent. And I mean, I, it's different for everyone has their preferences and it's obviously different by industry and sector and role um but the increased flexibility that people now have and the technology that's out there to enable people to be based wherever is is transformationally different you know i i I went freelance in 2001 um and yeah those those options just weren't there then
0: no absolutely very different space over those 20 years and the world of work that we're now in So talking about those, you know, going back to learning journeys, and I think we all recognise that challenge you're talking about, and it probably comes down to the fact that learning is not almost core to what we're doing in our role. So we're pulled out of our normal work into sessions to do learning and then probably all good intentions at the end of the day. We want to go back in and, you know, carry on with that learning, but then life, the day job crises, you know, urgent pressing matters get in the way. And then like you said before, you know it that two weeks, month, whatever it happens to be gap between sessions has passed, and you land on that morning going, Where did I put that bit of paper? Where was the workbook? Or whatever happened. So how are you actually helping to solve that problem?
1: I think the starting point is what you just described there as, you know, obviously um we all have the opportunity to choose and embrace some kind of learning intervention if we make that physical choice ourselves maybe in our personal life to I don't know go to a gym or to learn a new skill or a new habit if we're invested in it then we're more likely to to follow that learning journey through to do the relevant amount of practice uh, intervention seeking for new material whatever it might be but so much of uh, the world of learning, if you like, is is not necessarily led by choice or personal motivation. It's led by the organisation you're working for assigning you to a particular programme or assigning you to, you know, being told you're going on a learning uh, intervention. And I think at that point is where learning journeys fall down because a lot of um, it's very possible and this is not to cast any criticism anyone involved in the world of learning, but it's very impossible for us to get very carried away about what we do to these uh, people as if we are doing the learning for them and in reality a learning journey only actually happens if the individual chooses to learn. So it's their journey, it's not what we design as the programme, what we build in and these wonderful activities, all the wonderful technology we now get to, to play with our, our shiny new toys, the learning journey belongs to that individual. So, it has to start with, uh, it doesn't, I mean, whatever word you might want to use, choice, motivation, a, a wider purpose. Um, if they don't lean into it, it's, it's not going to happen. And so, you know, part of what we're doing with our, our, our learning platform enables that, but actually it's only the enabling point. It kind of has to sit with the facilitator and that individual to do a lot of work before you start your learning program. Uh, and if that work doesn't happen, and that person is a sort of passive passenger rather than directing their journey then you can pretty much discount the word sticky from that whole process
0: yeah and i think you point out a really key part of the whole learning process is and i've not worked as that external person being going in and delivering training but i've certainly been part of internal teams that are commissioning people or and i've been part of sort of those big internal programs as well where you might You know, lob up today and you're delivering this particular subject or program, and you have little or no knowledge of those participants beforehand. So, you know, the preparation and warming up is absolutely key, and I think that's often missed by organizations that we've got to make sure that we are not just worrying about what we're doing but making sure that we're setting the scene we're trying to get people to see the relevance in advance whether that's trying to get them to understand that the world is moving and they need to reskill or that a new system is coming in or the world of the world is changing or performance is dropping off or we're changing our culture or service structure whatever is sitting behind that particular learning intervention it's sometimes easier where you know, a course is very aligned to something like if you do this course, you're on a potential program, you can get promoted. Sometimes there's more relevance to the individuals. But again, it's back down to how that's positioned in the organization. Is that seen as a tick box? And I've just got to turn up and sit on the bus. I've not really got to participate or do any learning. I've just got to to go through the process. And I think there's a whole raft of problems there that people in that external facilitation space can try and influence. But sometimes, you know, you are the recipients of people who haven't been led through that pr- that process properly.
1: Well, it, it's not, it can always be the chicken and egg scenario, can't you? Because if you, you know, it, I, I I can imagine and picture, and I know I've done this in my past, is you, you do, because people turn up cold to the programme, you know, they haven't had that warm up, they're not invested in it. A good facilitator kind of goes into turbocharged and make that day so amazing and and do this amazing job of getting them excited and engaged and can tick that box in and go, look, they were really involved and they were fun and, and, and it was a great day, but we know it hasn't worked. Um, and it, I mean, this will resonate with you, whether this is run internally or externally, how many programs are out there where they say we'll run a six workshop program that takes them through this journey and then we'll follow it up with coaching. And I I know I did this in the past years ago, that'd be my my offer. We follow it up with coaching to help the embedding. And I look at it now and think actually the coaching needs to be the very first part. And actually because organisations are always going to commission training. It isn't always going to be the individual that leads it. But actually a coaching conversation at the very beginning, before the program's even been designed, to help that person unpack what is the relevance of this for you? You know, what would make it motivating? Um, what's the, what's you know, what's your role in learning? How are you going to make sure that you gain from it? Those kind of conversations at the beginning actually don't need to take up a lot of time, don't need to be costly or, you know, hugely administrative, um, but can be transformational in terms of what happens as the program goes
0: on. And I think it's back to almost having a more of an agile approach to program development as well, because back in, in days where I was internal, it was like, you, OK, you've got to work this out. And whether it's a day program, whether it's a, a program over a series of events over a course of time. The time tends to bound it often, whether we like it or not. Someone will turn around and go, you've got a day out of the business. What can we get them to do? <laughs> you've got a program, right? We can we can afford six events, or we can only take them out of the business three times or whatever it happens. And that starts to shape what you can practically do. And, and often what you're there to achieve is lost in that conversation, not by on purpose, but just through the practicalities of trying to get the logistics right or trying to work out that process of what you're taking people through and the people can get forgotten in that process.
1: 100%. I think learning does as well, because um, with the best will in the world, what a lot of organisations, or the areas of an organisation want, is they, they just want this performance change to happen, whatever, and they want that magical wand wave that learning is supposed to sort of you know, color it in all nicely, uh, and, and out pops this new performance or integrated individual at the end of it. Um, and unfortunately, the reality is real learning happens when you're not there. And when you're not running those sessions, when they're actually practicing or reflecting between times with the new knowledge or skills, whatever it might be, and the willingness to invest in allowing people to have the time to do that, to run practice sessions, to get that feedback, to, to properly reflect on progress, likely to be in their own work time rather than that six days you've set aside for the program um that's often one of the challenges and organizations are prepared to commit to that and allow people to properly invest in the learning time which is between sessions um, is much more likely to get the the outcomes they're seeking in performance
0: so we've talked a bit about setting people up for success at the beginning creating that relevance purpose motivation whatever word we use we then come into some sort of structured or path learning whether that's a you know a course whether it's self-paced or whatever but if we're stepping back what should learning teams be doing during that process to make sure that they get the things you've talked about so that embedding the reflection what are some of the tips and things you've seen that work so i
1: think there's two two really obvious areas which i think most anyone involved in learning that is is credible in what they do, will try and encompass in their session, which I think needs to be stripped out of the sessions almost. And it's very obvious things and it's two areas. One is the practice element and one is the reflection element. And I think creating um, easy ways for people that are going through this journey to uh, do deliberate practice, do proper practice to get good feedback, whether that be self-feedback or feedback from peers on the program or people outside of the program, it doesn't really matter as long as it's good quality awareness building. Extensive amounts of practice factored in um, and can almost be stripped out of the session. Sure, you can do practice in your in your your learning sessions in a very safe environment, but actually it almost needs to be away from that environment and, and closer to that real environment and extensive. And I would almost, before I even built the program these days if you commission me right now to build a classic management leadership coaching program whatever it might be other than that coaching conversation i talked about a practice session would be the first one it's like let's see where you're at it's about like, you know when you start to learn to drive a car you know you're not going to watch 10 hours of videos before you step into it you've got to step into it and you've got to stall it and you've got to forget that there's any mirrors and probably give a little bump and see your parent or older brother give you a snide look because you bumped the car only at that point do you know personally how far your learning journey needs to be? So engineer practice before the program starts and lots of opportunities in there. Um, and I think there's multiple ways of doing this. You can create little accountability groups to, to schedule practice sessions with each other. Um, a favorite for mine, I mean, it's only an area that I used to do a lot in my training and coaching business around coaching skills and coaching conversations for managers. And we would schedule weekly walk-in coaching conversations where in The peer group they were working with would have to at least once a week go for a walk outside of the office British weather permitting obviously um, and and just walk and coach each other and practice coaching skills and just engineering lots and lots of practice and having that as a fundamental part even if it means stripping out time that you have as a group in the learning um, will have a significant difference. Tied to that i have never, and it's probably just because of the way I I learn, and I probably don't invest enough time. To, but I don't think reflective skills are something that come really naturally to a lot of people, and so helping people understand that practice and reflection are an essential part of learning, regardless of personal preferences or styles, um, I think is a facilitator's role. And so, engineering exercise is that. Nudge and sort of force deliberate reflection, uh, and a favourite for mine, which always gets people's eyes raised at the beginning, but they sort of warm towards it, is to encourage people to keep a video uh, learning log or learning diary throughout, where they c- record just selfie videos on their phone, one one two minutes long, either weekly, quarterly, monthly, whatever you know, the, uh, regular intervals throughout that journey, where they just talk about what they have learned about themselves and what they've experienced as that part of whatever program they're going through. Um, even better, if they can share them with each other. Now this is often where they get very nervous. You know, most of us seem to be really uh, uber shy when it comes to being on video and, and, and sharing our voice and all the rest. But if they can share those reflective learning logs with each other, the powerful learning that the other people get from each other is, is, can be transformation. Um, and so elements like that, which happen when you're not there, really, very easy to set up, can make a significant difference.
0: I think there's some really nice ideas in there about, you know, giving those tools back to the learner to take control of them, which flips back to the first conversation because those things only happen where that person has the motivation because otherwise it's like, yeah. Why am I going to do that? Uh, You know, there's a number of barriers you've identified, you know, or I'm I'm a a bit anxious about that. I don't really want to do it. I don't want to share it. So all those barriers suddenly become heightened if I'm not really bought into the value. This is going to get me there. So, you know, the two things go hand in hand, don't they? And then along that journey, creating the time and the empowerment for people to for learning or time for learning and practice and reflection. Not just to be ring fenced to that time in the classroom, in the workshop, or on the Zoom call, as it now often is for people.
1: A hundred percent, and I think in, in a way, you know, if you've got an organisation or a you know, a project that is time restricted, like you said, you you mentioned the point. You know, really, we're driven by the fact that you've got we can give you a maximum of six days over the next six months with this group of people. If that's if that is ring fenced and not changed, I would take some time out of that classroom stuff to dedicate to this. And and I think the other really important point you've made there is coming back to that first point. If you think of any coaching conversation, even away from a learning journey, the point of a a coaching conversation is that uh, all of the responsibility sits on that individual's shoulders for achieving whatever outcomes they're aiming for. And I think that's part of that initial conversation with an individual that's going through a learning journey is, is helping them understand their levels of responsibility that come with achieving the outcomes they want. It's not done for them. It doesn't matter what shiny toy we're using, what amazing exercise we come up with, years of facilitated experience, the responsibility for learning lies with that individual. And once they grasp that and lean into it, the more likely to overcome, like you said, some of those natural barriers, which are understandable. Really, if I've got to make a video, can't I just write it down? Or I haven't got time for this, you know, removing that, um isn't complete but is much easier if they recognize from the beginning they've taken responsibility for
0: and what's the role of the facilitator coach or whatever we're calling this person who's help helping people on that journey in 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 that new way of looking at things because you've got some stuff happening before you've got contact time you've got stuff happening in between so what should those times be used for and what should the, the facilitator be doing along that journey as well
1: Great, isn't it? We're great with labels in learning, aren't we? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Trainer, coach, yeah. all sorts of so whatever whatever role <laughs> that person's yeah. playing. Um, it's a really good question. So I see it as um to the responsibility for learning sits so very much with the participant. The responsibility for the facilitator is to um enable and create experiences that uh, make that responsibility easy for the learner so the learning itself should be difficult but accessing it participating it doing it shouldn't be difficult and so um, any way of creating um, interesting experiences practical experiences experiences that don't seem to compete with work you know you, ma- you made a really good phrase at the beginning about you know they, they come into a learning intervention they go back and just work gets in the way or every day-to-day stuff gets in the way so as much as aligned these exercises can be with day-to-day work so that learning isn't in competition with it you know how often have, have all of us as facilitators have had someone come back just and say I didn't get time to do that task or that exercise because I was working. It was like, okay, so clearly it was, it was uh, deprioritized or devalued. So we need to make sure that they're not in competition with work. Um, but I see the role of the facilitator to create these experiences and make it easy. And then for one of the more technical phrase, they're a nudger. <laughs> I love this phrase, it's like, you're there just to nudge people. You know, We want them to be self-motivated and responsible, but sometimes people need a nudge. And they need a little gentle motivation in the back to to get back onto that journey to get back on that track and to remind themselves of the benefits they're getting from that learning journey
0: and i think you highlight a lot of really good points that show some of the the challenges in getting away and the amount of time that needs to be taken to get these things right as well because understanding the context someone's working in just take an example of apprenticeships are now meant to create that ability for you to learn alongside your work and the exercises should be knitted into work etc that that can be really tough you know having led programs and tried to do that it can be really tough particularly across a set of eclectic people who aren't doing the same jobs and on programs etc so there's it's it great in great in principle but hard in practice but it takes effort and it takes people to really engage with that and get the not try and do it all yourself, but get the learner engaged in that as well. Because I, I think there's some great principles there, but we often fall down at the practical delivery of some of these things of making it relevant to work or making it at the right time to fit in with someone's workload or everything else.
1: Yeah, I, I, yes, there's barriers there. Do you know what? I think as an industry, it's going to sound like a really sweeping statement that I As an industry, I think, um, Learning can be quite passive in these processes, and allow ourselves to be pushed back. You know, for example, if you go to the marketing division of a of a business and organisation and say we want um, we want a major new um, advertising you know project going out that's going to do this, and you've got a budget of fifty quid and want you done in an afternoon, they're probably going to push back a little bit. Mm -hmm. And they're going to explain, you know, you're going to get what you invest in terms of times and money uh, and results. If you want that advertising campaign to deliver you X number of new leads, customers, whatever it is, business and revenue, you're going to have to invest this. If they don't do that, they're going to produce something poor. And I think learning is in exactly that same position. If an organisation comes to and says, we want amazing, high performing teams and individuals in the next six months that can deliver the change that business is going through. And you've got four hours to do that in. We need to push back and we need to be confident enough to say, without this, you're not going to get that. To be really clear, you know, we can, we can engineer this. We can help you deliver whatever it is. We're a partner in it. We're not the ones that do it on our own, but we can only do it if the right amount of time and level of acceptance of the, the challenge, the difficulty is invested inside mm-hmm. of your life, isn't it? You can't, if you don't put effort in, you don't get results out
0: in most cases. And I I think that's really key and sort of where I was coming from is that if the learning team don't put that time and investment in and it's not, you know, this is just done as sort of an aside and you just go through it too quickly, it's going to glance off the organization, it's going to be deflected by the shield of everything else. And it's taking that time to really, you know, make yourself important, which learning teams can find difficult. But to me, it's a lot about those transferable skills as well. You're coaching your business or your commissioner of work using your coaching skills to pull out of them. How committed are they to this? Or what are they really trying to achieve? So sometimes we are too passive, but we can go in there and push back and really challenge and, and be there as an, as an expert within learning and helping people to change their behaviours or, or attain knowledge or whatever else. Sometimes we're still stuck in that Passive approach to the business of this is what you want. Fine, I'll go and find a way of doing it. I am the superhero who's going to deliver this in, with 50 quid in 10 minutes, or or whatever it happens to be. And I've been in that. I've been in that place myself as well. But you know, wanting to be a people pleaser and find a way. And sometimes we have to step back from that and and push back.
1: Yeah, and it can be a bit of a vicious cycle, can't it? Because of course if you if you are passive and just reactive and say, yeah, we need a new leadership program, you've got a ten of our talent coming through it, they're going to be the most amazing leaders, and you've got two days of them. If we go and deliver that and just take those two days and don't don't take time to do the effort that goes in it, not only do they that 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 group not get the benefit of good quality learning, but learning per se probably gets a bad reputation. Well, clearly it doesn't work, you know, or our training team isn't good enough to deliver it. And it's considered almost like a vicious cycle isn't it you almost prove to them that it's not worth investing because it hasn't worked rather than just lying in the sand at the beginning and saying this is what's required if you want those performance outcomes at the end of it
0: no absolutely and i think to take your marketing example how often do we almost fall at that first pushback pushback of someone saying to you what you need x days or it's going to take that amount of investment or you can't deliver this to everyone by January or whatever the, the the expectation presenting itself is to unpick it and think about the outcome and think about what's going to take to get there is and take that business on the journey is the key starting point of that journey
1: yeah and and without it um, or you, you it's a it's difference in a way between individuals being able to go through a learning journey that means they either achieve or potentially overachieve against the outcomes they're looking for to tick in the box that a training program has been run and it is almost those two two ends of the scale um, and there isn't a lot of grey area in between unfortunately because unless you really allow that full learning journey to happen and get the individuals invested in it it's going to be some form of tick box training approach
0: Absolutely. So we talked about sort of commissioning, understanding, pre-briefing people, programme design, some of the tools along the way in the programme. One of the other things that we often sort of get stuck in in learning is, is measurement, as you said, tick box, you know, you just talked about that. So how do you build into your processes of taking people on that journey of showing impact change and or whatever you're measuring to to show that actually that time is well invested. So the next time I go back, people are not pushing back because they fully understand the benefits that have been reached from this approach.
1: I mean, this is a, a whole minefield in the world of really development and you have people in all sorts of angles on views on this. I have always taken quite a simple approach to this and i go right back to that beginning, those coaching conversations we start at the beginning with the individuals, but I'd also take that same approach with, if we want to call them the stakeholders, the people commissioning this particular process, uh, learning intervention it might be. And and whilst they might set classic performance outcomes they might be looking for, what I'm more interested in is how they'll know that's, that's happening and that's having the impact on the business, and I want them to know that at the very, very beginning. And that's what I'd measure it against, is those kind of subsector experiences that come from saying this leader is able to do this or this manager or this salesperson or this technical person, whatever it is that we need them to be able to do differently or to to manage a change process, whatever it might be, how will you know that's been successful? Um we track that near the end. But there's also um I don't always look at it as well as just a one stage process. It's almost like you have to track this throughout the whole process. It's like if we only look at measurement at the end. We're also missing the sort of tracking of the growth as we go through, which I think is just as important for that individual to know. And so having sort of regular check-ins regular individual interactions that are checking not just what are you achieving what are you doing but what is the outcomes from that what experience you see you see any difference in your team and what is that difference and how can you track that back to your change in behavior for example if that's what we're talking about i think has to happen throughout the process so that this kind of whole big conversation around return on investment isn't just something that happens right at the end which is a little bit late to be frank anyway if you haven't returned there so i it sounds like i almost downplay it but i don't i almost see it as just an ongoing conversation throughout the piece that actually ties into their reflection process as they go through um, their feedback from peers those around them that will be impacted by their change and i would expect that again not really to be the if we call them the facilitators role to communicate that out I see this as a responsibility of the learner and the stakeholder be that their director or boss to have that conversation and I'm not saying the facilitator doesn't have responsibility for that but ultimately I think that's a conversation that happened between those two parts of the the process
0: so again that's built and designed into the process but the responsibility accountabilities are very clear as to who is carrying that out because we can't take The responsibility of learning or behavior change or even application in the business, because that sits somewhere between, you know, the line manager, the individual themselves, you know, their team and, and everything else.
1: And what would be great, you know, if we, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm living in some sort of utopian world right now, but if we go back to this idea of really responsible learners that lean into this learning journey, that strive to get the best out of it, I would hope they're confident enough as well to give the facilitator feedback to say, listen, the, the things that you're creating, the experiences you're running for us, the, the resources or content you're using to support it, whatever it might be they're doing, isn't cutting the mustard you know, isn't good enough. You know, I need I need it better. I need more of this or X, Y, Z, that. So that in a way, we're it's not us saying, look, we're brilliant. Don't worry about us. It's all your fault if you're not doing it. It's like, actually, you invest in this process yourself. Be a responsible learner. And if you don't think you're getting the right kind of support and the quality of experiences created to support your learning journey, feed that in. And, and then that whole conversation about return on investment, results, outcomes, sits solely on the shoulders of that learner. And um, the ones that are invested in it, what a powerful position to be in as a facilitator. How great would that be? I mean, it might be a shock at times. (laughs) Suddenly one of your participants is saying, James, come on, (laughs) that practice was too easy. Or, you know, you've not given me any good quality feedback or or we're repeating the same exercise time and again, it's not stretching me anymore. What a great wake up call for a facilitator.
0: Yeah, I think I love that idea of almost going from someone passively turning up in a classroom or workshop just expecting to be fed information to becoming that demanding customer that's saying I'm doing my bit here but what I want you to do is open this door for me or bring that experience along or give us some insight on that or we need to be pushed in this direction or we see this as a challenge where we can't apply this particular theory or learning or practice you've given I've now hit this new part of what I'm doing and, and that become a real you know sort of Joint conversation around how they work as a team to solve that. I think that's a that's an amazing place to get to.
1: Imagine the imagine the culture or the learning culture of an organisation that had individuals that were, were set up to view learning that way. So, like you said, we were we become a service provider. They're, they are our customers, and they're demanding customers, and they let us know if we're not stretching them enough.
0: No, I I, I do love that example, and I'd I'd love to get there. Just want to touch on one other thing you you talked about as well. So you you said in your intro that you know you weren't a techie person and you've now built out sort of a tech product for learning. And I think the role of tech in learning is a really interesting subject in itself. Just as to where it sits, how does it help, aid, or sometimes absolve our responsibility, or become an easy way of ticking a box. So. Where do you see learning adding value and what should the role of tech be in learning?
1: So, to someone who is now involved in the tech side, um, yes, we can get carried away with shiny new toys and all sorts of wonderful stuff. I think if I was gonna boil it down to one thing only, and I would say tech, whatever that be, whether it be like a whiteboard tool through to a learning platform, through to fancy AI robotics, and all this wonderful stuff that's coming, solely should be to make it easy for the participants to get the best out of a learning experience. So it's not about how complex or shiny that tech o- technology is in whatever format it is. It's about saying, is it going to make part of this accessing part of this learning journey easy and whether that could be the, the intervention we talk about when we're not there so you know the stuff they do on themselves or their own responsibility like something as simple as an easy way of sharing and storing reflective videos for example whatever it is tech should make accessing really high quality learning really easy um, and then obviously it depends what format context what technology we're talking about as to how it does that but i think it's the learning itself should be really challenging that individual should be constantly stretching themselves and like so there's a lovely utopian world of them demanding more stretch if they're not getting enough um technology where it's used excuse me should make it easy for them to experience those stretch moments no i
0: absolutely agree with you and you yeah, know when i went back to trying to get you know 10 15 years ago probably longer trying to get trainers to think about themselves as facilitators i remember having that conversation with them about facilitation comes from the latin to make easy that's what it's about this is about making those experiences easy but and again i've had this conversation with lots of people learning itself is hard because we're changing and we're deconstructing and we're rethinking and we're challenging our ways of acting or thinking or doing but the, we shouldn't be sat there going, I can't get into the LMS to get that stuff I've got to get, or I I don't know what I'm meant to be doing now, or I can't remember this. So all of that bits around the edge and the service provider element should be very, very easy, very focused on that individual so they can spend their time on that stuff that's important to them, which is the learning.
1: Absolutely. It's, it, it absolutely shouldn't be about putting barriers in front of it because um, you know and and especially if if you're going through this process of trying to build more self-responsible learners learners that are taking uh control of their own journey um at the beginning that sense might be quite fragile and so if you put a barrier in the way that could soon sort of break down a little bit and go into more passive mode so get rid of any of the barriers make it as easy as possible so that they can start to learn what taking responsibility to their really feels like
0: Uh, That's great, Mark. Really insightful shares across the podcast. So thank you very much for joining us today. If people do want to connect with you, find out more about you, find out more about GiraffePad, how should they do that?
1: So I am on LinkedIn for my sins. Uh, Mark Williams, such a common name. So search for GiraffePad as well and you'll find me. And our website is uh, www.giraffepad.com and all of the information is on there um,
0: uh, about what we do. So we'll make sure that all of those contact details are in the show notes below. Mark, it's been great to catch up with you today. Thank you for joining us. Brilliant. Thanks, James. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Learning Reinvented podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you've not already done so, please follow our podcast. And if the learning effect can help you and your organisation, please do get in touch. You can find both James and Katie on LinkedIn and our contact details are in the show notes below.